Well, welcome to King's Arms Online. My name's Simon. I'm hosting today with my lovely wife, Caroline. Hello. Welcome. We're so glad to see you this morning. So good to be together. And you've got your uh, you've got your youth hoodie on. Yep. Yeah, I've got my youth hoodie on. I'm um, shamelessly part of King's Arms Youth because the day today that we're hosting is Wednesday and I'm off to youth tonight. And if you don't know about youth or if you've got a young person in your life who's not sure about it or doesn't realize it's back on, we meet in the park every Wednesday night, 7 to late 15. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm not going to the park tonight, but Caroline is. And it's great to be hosting together with you uh, to, together today. <laughs> and um, Caroline, why don't you just lead us into worship? Okay. I've just been um, really thinking this week, um, just really stuck with Ephesians 5 and mm. um, just wanting to memorize bits of it and really meditating on it. And today I was just praying with a friend this morning and um, just really connecting with um, one of the verses, um, verse 4 in Ephesians 5. It says, guard your speech, forsake obscenities and worthless insults. These are nonsensical words that bring disgrace and are unnecessary. Instead, let worship fill your heart and spill out into your words. And it goes on later to talk about just the power, the power of our words. And, um, and I just love worship because it's just a time that we can really fix our eyes on Jesus and um, let our praise mm. and let our worship for him just spill out from our hearts and out of our mouths. And, um, and it's so, so powerful and um, it blesses his heart so much. And um, let's just practice this morning. Let's practice worship. Let's engage our hearts. Um, let's practice that this morning and then just let it spill into our weeks um, all through the week to let worship spill out of our hearts and minds. So this morning, Father, we just turn our hearts to you, Jesus. Mm. Father God, we lift you up. We thank you that you are um, the Holy One. You are the Lamb who is slain. You're the Lord of all lords. You're the King of all kings. You're anointed, Jesus. We thank you that all power is in your hands, Father. We thank you that you're infinite yet intimate, that you know us each um, personally and deeply, Father. We thank you that you're approachable, that we can come to you, Jesus. We thank you that you understand what we've been through, Jesus. We worship you because you're almighty, God. We worship you because you're here. We worship you because you love us, God. And and we say we love you back in Jesus' Mm. name. Mm -hmm. Amen. Let's worship, shall we? And we're going to be taking communion after worship so you can get uh, ready for that as well. But let's worship together now. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hand hath made and I see the stars and I hear the rolling thunder of thy power throughout the universe displayed. And then sings my soul, my Savior God to me. And how great thou art. And how great thou art. And then sings my soul, my Savior God to me. And how great thou art, how great thou art. How great thou art. When Christ shall come, 
with shouts of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow and in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art when Christ when Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow and in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art my soul, my Savior, God to thee, and how great thou art, how great thou art, and then sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee, and how great thou art. Father, 
compares to his great love it sings my soul then oh, sings my soul oh, how great your love is how great your love is behold his holy son lion and the lamb given to us the word became a man that my soul should know it's saved Taken for the sake of all mankind, salvation is in His blood. Jesus, Messiah, the righteous died for all, and it wasn't over for He. Sings my soul. 
You're the lover of 
Yeah, we just thank you, Lord, for uh, the privilege of worship. We thank you that in our nation we can worship freely and we can celebrate you together. And we just thank you for that. We do just lift up believers, our friends and brothers across the world who don't have that privilege. And we just want to stand with them afresh today. We recognize 
remember our brothers and sisters in Iran who are under such heavy pressure at the moment, the brothers and sisters in Somalia, brothers and sisters in Turkey, our brothers and sisters in parts of Africa. We just pray, God, for your, uh, um, your spirit to be with them and guiding them and giving them hope and letting them know they're part of a worldwide family who's worshipping you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a privilege to worship together. And um, we're going to take communion now. Let me just read to, from 1 Corinthians 11. You can uh, pull this up in your Bibles if you'd like to. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. It says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. In remembrance of me, for whatever you eat his br- this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death mm. until he comes. And there's four uh, uh, things that we can think about when we do communion. Firstly, we take communion backwards. We take it looking backwards because um, uh, communion reminds us of what Christ has done, that he paid for our sin, that this world, uh, as we look across it, is filled rife with sin and the impact mm. of sin we see all around us every day. Uh, both our own sin but also our corporate sin as all of humanity has destroyed and is destroying this planet what we recognize the problem is not out there the problem's in here the problem uh, the heart of the human problem as someone said is the problem of the human heart but when we take communion we we look backwards because we remember what Christ has done uh, on the cross when his body was broken when his blood was shed he paid the price that we all owe for the sin that we have uh, committed and Christ paid that for us and we take uh, communion forwards. When we take communion, we look forwards because it says that we take it until he comes. So when we take communion together, we remember that one day Jesus is returning, that one day we will see him face to face. And one day uh, this will all be over. This misery, this suffering that we see around us, both inside and outside, will be over. And it says he'll wipe away every tear um, and he'll bring everyone, every knee will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His kingdom will be fully here. So we take it, we look forwards. Uh, we take it, we look inwards. And we remind ourselves that it says this uh, loaf, and it's not a very good example, but this uh, loaf is part of one body. The loaf that he broke was one loaf that he broke and shared with his disciples. And it's part of his body. It rep- rep- represents one body that was broken and that we, uh, as, a, as followers of Jesus, where we, though we come from different tribes and different nations and different languages and different skin tones mm. and different backgrounds, we're united by one thing. We're part of one body, yeah. and that body was broken in Jesus, and that, uh, we're part of that, that loaf, as it were, and we're all part of that. And when we take communion, we remember that. We're part mm. of one loaf that's celebrating across the world uh, what Christ has done. We're united by him. Mm. So we take it backwards, we take it forwards, we take it inwards, and we take it outwards in the sense that this represents that we belong to Christ. This is a clear, as clear a statement as you're going to get that you're following Jesus. So if this is your moment to decide to choose to follow him, then take communion with us as a symbol, as a sign that we are Christ and that we follow him. Mm. So let's take communion together, shall we? Let's take the, uh, let's break the bread, let's drink the wine and take a moment to remember what Christ has done for us. Backwards, forwards, inwards and outwards. Draw me to you And set my heart on fire I want to know you 
Cause you're my own desire I give Thank you, you my word well, Let's take a moment, shall we, just to pray for one another. So if you're uh, with someone watching this, take a moment to pray for one another. If you're on your own, take a moment to think about friends and family and, uh, and people who are far from Jesus and pray for them. And Caroline and I are going to pray for each other now. Yeah, Father, I just thank you for Caroline. Thank you for her life. Thank you that you shed your blood for her life. Thank you that you gave yourself for her to wash her clean and to present her as part of this one body, spotless, as white as a jumper and whiter. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, for all that you've done in her life and all that you're going to do, that um, we'll be united forever in your kingdom and that um, you have paid the price for her to be part of that in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you, God. Yeah, Jesus, we just thank you so much for your sacrifice, God. We thank you. Um, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you made a way, Jesus. We thank you that um, that you revealed the Father, so that Simon and I could know um, could know the Father, could come to the Father, could know forgiveness, could know hope, could know freedom, could know life, could know joy. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for the cross. And Jesus, we thank you that you raised from the dead. Father, we thank you that, um, that you paid once and for all so we could come and love you, Jesus. Mm. 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 Thanks for taking communion with us. Mm. Okay, now's the time in our service when... Um, you've got an opportunity to give in to what all that's going on and all that the father's doing um in in and through the king's arms church so if you'd like to give you can um do that by going to kingsarms.org forward slash donate and oh, oh go on then go, no go on after you okay I was going to introduce the preachers. Oh, right? yeah, that's right. You're right. Okay, okay. Um, and now um, we're going to continue our series on Mark, and we have got um, Phil Wilthew speaking to us this morning. Well, hello, friends. It's great to be together again. And I'm actually recording this message quite a long time before it's going to go out because I'm about to go on my summer holidays. And looking out my window, the British summertime has turned somewhat wintry and it's absolutely luzzing it down with rain um, and also tonight is the uh, night where England plays Scotland and I don't know what the result is but of course by now the rest is history and you'll know what the score was at that particular game and so anyway it's great to be here together and I am in uh, Mark chapter 6 today and so if you've got a Bible you might like to turn there we're in this series called Broken, Lost and Found, how Jesus brings us home to the Father, where we're looking at these different vignettes and stories of how Jesus breaks into our brokenness and our lostness and brings us into an encounter with the Father. And so we're going to read today about a moment where Jesus went back to his hometown in Nazareth and had an encounter with the families and friends that he grew up with there. And so we're going to read in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter. 
the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon and his sisters live here right amongst us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them a prophet is honoured everywhere except in his own hometown and amongst his relatives in his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Well, you know, several years ago, I was uh, awoken in the middle of the night by the Holy Spirit who spoke to me. And I don't know if that ever happens to you. It happens very occasionally to me. But on this occasion, the Holy Spirit woke me up and he said, Phil, the church needs to guard against the spirit of offence. The church needs to guard against the spirit of offence. And seemingly at that point, the Lord went back to sleep and I was left wide awake wondering what on earth he meant. The church must guard against the spirit of offence. And I was reminded of that as I came to today's passage because it's all about offence. It's about Jesus' hometown being offended at him. The spirit of offence grips their hearts to such a point that it says Jesus was unable to do any mighty work in Nazareth. And there is something about the spirit of offence which disables Jesus' ability to work both in our hearts and also in our churches and our cities. And I would suggest to you that this message has never been more relevant because we are living in the age of offence. Like people are offended everywhere at the moment. You know, identity politics has become a new kind of byword in today's culture. You know, identity politics is is really a counterfeit enemy strategy to discovering our true identity in Christ. Instead, the world now would push us to define our identity in terms of our victimhood, in terms of the things that have offended us and the wrongs that have been done to us. Richard King, an Australian writer, recently wrote this. Uh, about politics he said politics is increasingly a matter not of reasoned argument but of identification in other words debates whether it's in the houses of parliament or whether it's on twitter or with your next door neighbors you know resembles who's in which gang it's it's like a kind of playground argument who's in which gang who do we identify with this is the world that we're living in and a whole younger generation in particular are being uh, grown up in a world where to take offence is actually a sign of virtue. To be offended, to live with offence against others is actually seen as being a high-minded or moral person. Um, one particular writer I read, th read this week, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, wrote this. She said, and so we have a whole generation of young people on social media so terrified of having the wrong opinions that they have robbed themselves of the opportunity to think and to learn and to grow. I have spoken to young people who tell me they are terrified to tweet anything, that they read and reread their tweets because they fear they will be attacked by their own. The assumption of good faith is dead. What matters no longer is goodness, but the appearance of goodness. We are no longer human beings. We are now angels jostling to out-angel one another. God help us. It has become obscene. 
And what has become known as woke culture is gripping society day. Woke culture is being awake to issues of social justice and injustice in society and it's gripping postmodern thinking. And you know, there's, there's, there's a sweet and a sour to woke culture. That The sweet is that we stand with victims of injustice. But the, the, the sour is that sometimes we define ourselves only in terms of our victimhood rather than our new identity in Christ if we are Christians. That the, the sweet of woke culture is that we stand up against bullying in all its forms and that is good. But sometimes woke culture can lead us to become bullies ourselves. And actually that offence with those who've hurt us or harmed us can cause us to silence or cancel out everything that we disagree with. The right to become offended has become the biggest right over all other rights in our culture today. We are living in the age of offence, so this is a very relevant message today. And I tell you what, if you are a Christian and you believe the Bible, you are in the front line of being amongst the most offensive people in our culture today. You know, we are no longer living in a neutral world when it comes to Christianity. We are living in an anti-Christian world, an anti-biblical world. Just, just take our ethics around sexuality, around gender, and around family. Just those three biblical ethics, if you have a, a conservative traditional view on or any of those three things as a Christian, you are in the firing line in a culture which is offended at that viewpoint. And so, as the Lord said to me all those years ago, the church needs to guard against the spirit of offence. Those words have never been more true as they are today. And of course, Scripture tells us to guard our hearts against offence. Proverbs 10.12 says that hatred stirs up strife, but love covers over offences. Or Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is to one's glory to overlook an offence. And so living an unoffended life is a choice. And so I just want us to learn some lessons from this encounter that Jesus has in his hometown to help us navigate these issues. And the first one is a comment about miracles and mindsets. You know, Jesus' reputation as we read this passage was becoming well known as a miracle worker. He, uh, after the age of about 30 years old, leaves Nazareth, his hometown, and he begins to preach in all the surrounding villages. And he becomes known as the miracle worker. There is power when he preaches and he prays for the sick. And so he comes back to Nazareth, the place where he grew up, where he spent 30 years of his life. And remember, Nazareth is just a small place. It's maybe 100, 200 people at most. And so the people that he is interacting with in this passage are people that knew him very well. In fact, they were people that knew him the best out of anybody because they'd grown up with him. And, you know, they knew him as the carpenter. He's the town carpenter. You know, when I need a carpentry job, I call Luke Hale. Hello, Luke. But when they needed a carpentry job, they called Jesus. He was their guy. He, they had him on speed dial. If they needed a chair made or a table made, they'd call Jesus because he was the town carpenter. And now, all of a sudden, he has become the miracle worker. I don't know if you've ever stopped to ask this question, why is it that Jesus does miracles? And on the face of it, it's quite a simple answer. And that's because 
Jesus hates people being in pain. He comes to help. He comes to alleviate our suffering. That's why he does miracles. God's compassion compels him to come and meet us in our pain and brokenness and do miracles in our lives. So on one level, that's why Jesus does miracles. But on another level, the reason that Jesus does miracles is to change our mindsets. He comes to do miraculous things in order to change the way we think about the world. Every miracle is actually an invitation to a changed way of thinking. You know, I remember the very first miracle I saw as a young young boy. I was about 10 years old and I saw someone's leg who was, one leg was way shorter than the other. And I remember seeing it grow to be the same length. And as a 10 year old, I remember just being changed by that moment. That miracle left me realizing that Jesus is actually alive for the first time ever. It wasn't just that I saw something, something changed in my thinking. I realized that Jesus is the King and he is alive today. But in Nazareth, they see the miracles, but they're not changed by them. They applaud from a distance, but then they're swallowed by their doubts. You know, it's an interesting encounter in uh, Mark chapter 8 where Jesus has just fed 4,000 people. He's multiplied from just seven loaves of bread. He's multiplied it to feed 4,000 men plus women and children on a hillside. And then it says immediately after, the, the Jesus' disciples get into a boat with Jesus and they've only got one loaf of bread for the journey and they start to quarrel. They get hangry. They, they start to get food anxiety. Um, I just like to say... I have food anxiety. My wife laughs at me often for my food anxiety. Well, this is what they have in the boat. They've just seen Jesus multiply it to 4,000 people. And now they're looking at their bread thinking, how is this going to feed all 12 of us? And Jesus says to them, he's like, guys, did you not see the miracle that you just witnessed? Do you have so little faith? Do you not understand? They had refused to let the miracle change their mindset. It wasn't just about a miracle of provision. It was about them seeing that God is our provider in every circumstance. It wasn't about bread. It was actually about beliefs. And that's why John's gospel, when it talks about miracles, calls them signs. They're signs that are meant to point us towards someone else. And so, friends, every miracle is an invitation into relationship to start thinking like God's royal sons and daughters, to change us from thinking like victims into thinking like victors, to think like God. And so, friends, one of the ways that we stay out of offense is that we recall to mind the miracles of God and we allow them to change our way of thinking. We are no longer paupers and orphans and slaves. That's no longer who we are. And every miracle is an invitation into transformed thinking so that we no longer live as offended people, but we live as victorious people who are thankful and full of gratitude and full of expectation about what the Father will do. Miracles are meant to change minds. Sets. Secondly, the thing we see in this passage is that judgmentalism is the breeding ground of offence. Instead of allowing the miracles to change them, Jesus' hometown crowd begin to grumble and they begin to make judgments. They're like, who does this guy think he is? He's the carpenter 
And yet now he's getting all haughty and proud and he thinks he's a rabbi and he thinks he can heal the sick. Who is this guy? We saw him grow up. He's the son of Mary. Judas and Simon are his brothers. And they begin to make judgments about Jesus. Familiarity with Jesus starts to breed contempt in their hearts and judgment starts to rule the way they see Jesus and receive them. And it says they could not believe in Jesus because of the judgments they made. Friends, it's so easy to do this. It's so easy to let judgmentalism into our hearts when it comes to other people, to literally judge a book by its cover rather than its contents. I remember a time where I did this and I was I was on an airplane and it was pre we just boarded the airplane and we were waiting for them to close the cabin doors I was sitting in my seat and I had an empty seat next to me and if you know if you travel a lot often in those moments you pray that no one will come and sit next to you well at least I do and so I was like oh lord please let that empty seat remain an empty seat and it was a long haul flight. It was like a 10, 11 hour flight that I was doing. And it was close to them closing the doors when one final gentleman got in and started walking down the aisle towards me. And I kid you not, he was about six foot five. He was dressed in leather biking gear. He had a huge kind of long ponytail. He had tattoos all up and down his arms. He was, he was huge. He was literally, he was massive. And I thought to myself, Lord, let it not be him <laughs> but sure enough he walked towards me and he sat in the seat next to me and uh honestly i, I judged this book by the cover i thought gosh this this guy he doesn't look like a very nice character but you know the funny thing was during the whole journey this guy next to me did nothing but watch Disney movies on the chair next to me. He watched The Lion King and The Little Mermaid and Aladdin, and he watched literally watched cartoons. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have judged this book by a cover. I am sorry, Lord. But we so often do this, don't we? And this is what they do in Nazareth with Jesus. And there's all sorts of reasons why we make judgments. And I would suggest to you that a lot of our offence and the spirit of offence is rooted in judgmentalism. Uh, first of all, we make judgments because of unfulfilled expectations. People don't fulfil the expectations that we have of them. Um, in this instance, they expected Jesus to act one way, like the carpenter they'd seen growing up, and yet suddenly he changed. He was moving in the power of the Spirit in a way that they just were not expecting and just defied logic, and they could not accept it. And so often we make judgments because people don't, don't behave in a way that we expect them to. Someone once said this, that assumption is the mother of all frustration. In other words, when we assume people will do X or Y and they don't, it leads to frustration and judgment and offence in our hearts. This is what we do. People act in a way that we don't expect. We get offended. We make judgments, particularly about their motives. We think, well, they did that because they don't care. They did that because they're not interested in me. They, they did that because they're still angry with me. They, they did it because of X or Y. And we make judgments about people's motives. Secondly, we make judgments sometimes because of our own pride. You know, when our own pride gets hurt, we make judgments and we get offended. You know, here Jesus is doing things that none of his hometown crowd could do. 
and he's making them look bad. I wonder for some of them if their pride was hurt and offence takes hold. You know, I'm reading uh, Romans at the moment in my own devotional life and this week I came to Romans chapter 2 which is all about making judgments. This is what Romans 2 verse 1 says. It says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge one another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment on others do the very same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realising that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? It's all about judgment. And these are the words I wrote in my journal following uh, that passage this week. This is what I wrote. Judgmentalism is wrong because none of us are superior to anybody else. We have all fallen short. Only the perfect judge who judges on the basis of truth has the right to pass righteous judgments. When we judge others, we actually condemn ourselves. In other words, we reveal to others that our grasp and understanding of grace is poor and insufficient. To judge others is to be proud, haughty, inflated of one's view of oneself. When we judge, we reveal the condition of our heart. Judgmentalism is actually a form of contempt for God's kindness. It pours scorn on his kindness, which is meant to enable a new way of thinking in us. In other words, repentance. His kindness is a guide towards a new lens on the world where we no longer view people from a worldly point of view, but we see through the same lens as God, kindness, forbearance and patience. These God qualities are the opposite of judgmentalism. Friends, We've got to wage war on judgmentalism because if you allow it into your heart, you are not far from living in the spirit of offence a lot of the time. We've got to instead take on these God-like qualities, forbearance, patience and kindness towards other people. To live in that, to not live as superior, but to live as understanding, believing the best, trusting other people and fighting hard to live life like God's. And then the last thing that we see in this passage is that unbelief and faith can both amaze Jesus. We read at the end of Mark 6 verse 6 that Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. You know, there are only two places where it says that Jesus was amazed. Here, where he's amazed at their unbelief, and in another story where he encounters the centurion's faith for healing. And it says Jesus was amazed at his faith. Friends, the question is, in which way do you want to amaze Jesus? Through your unbelief or through your faith? And here's the thing. Unbelief and faith are both jostling for the same space in your heart. The same space. How are you going to amaze Jesus? Through your trust, through your faith or through unbelief, which comes from offence? It's a battleground. It's so crucial to deal with our unbelief so it doesn't turn into offence. I don't know about you, but I want to live a life that amazes Jesus because of my faith, my childlike faith, 
Jesus says, you know, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? I want the answer in my life to be, yes, Lord, find faith in my heart. Let me be one that amazes you. That word amaze literally means to be awestruck. Isn't it amazing that you and I have the capacity to make God awestruck by the way in which we believe him and trust in his promises? I tell you what, living a life of faith is a key to revival. There was a revival that that had been put aside for Nazareth, but it passes them by because of their unbelief and it amazes Jesus. Friends, can I encourage us in these days, like no other, to live with childlike faith and dependence in God, that what he says is true. Therefore, let's believe it and obey it and enjoy it with all our hearts. Let's set our sights on amazing Jesus with our faith. And so friends, in this season, this unusual season, let's guard ourselves against the spirit of offense. How do we do that? Well, number one, you let the miracles of God change your mindset so you start to think like God. Number two, deal with judgmentalism and superiority wherever you find it and on your heart. Instead, clothe yourself with humility and with kindness towards one another. And then thirdly, let's just amaze Jesus by the simple childlike faith that we have. Wage war with unbelief and instead put all your eggs in one basket and trust him because you can. Amen. Thanks so much, Phil. Let's, uh, let's take God's word, shall we? Let's meditate on it. Let's think about it. Let's build our lives upon it. Let's put it into practice. Maybe take a moment just to think as a result of hearing God's word today, what are you going to believe differently? What, what's going to change in your thinking? Or what are you going to do differently? What actions are you going to take? I found it really helpful just to write those down and uh, take a moment to, in our weeks just to think about, okay, God, how can I be bringing your word to life? How can I be building my life? And it might be for you, this is your day to choose to follow Jesus for the first time. Maybe um, you've never really thought about following Christ, that today's been a moment when you realize, I need to line my life up with his. I need to uh, stop asking God to fit in with my agenda and start to fit into his agenda. So if that's you, why don't you take a moment to pray with me? Just close your eyes. And uh, Father, we just thank you for all of those who are taking that decision today to follow you. We thank you, Jesus, that you have uh, washed them and you've cleansed them. And just take a moment now to ask him to wash you from the sin, the things that have held you back from his presence and to invite Jesus into your life and to choose to follow him. And I just thank you, Jesus, for all those who are taking that step, who are choosing to align their lives up with you. I just pray, Lord, that your spirit would fill them now, mm. that they would know they've been washed and they've been cleansed yeah. and they're beginning a new life. In your mighty name, amen. amen. If you made that step, I'd encourage you, don't do that. This is not a thing to be done alone. We're, as we talked about earlier, we're part of one body. We're part of a community. So click the button on the screen and uh, the team will be able to follow up. Or you can uh, email us at the church, belong at kingsarms.org, uh, to find out more about following Jesus. And they'll be able to put you in touch um, with people who can help you on your journey. But other than that, I think we're done for today. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week. Yeah, so good to be with you. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week and see you soon. Bye. Bye.